Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, we've got a special treat and a four-time guest with Bob Hoffman. He's the author of Advertising for Skeptics, which is the book we talk about today. But he's been on the show in episode 127, talking about his last book, Laughing at Advertising, episode 70, about Bad Men, which was a book at that moment in time. And uh, going way back to episode 36, we talked a lot about agency challenges. So I hope you enjoy this show with Bob Hoffman. He does not disappoint and we laugh a lot. So I hope I hope, I hope the laughter doesn't get in the way of the message, but enjoy. And uh, maybe we'll inspire you to go have a cocktail when you get done listening. I hope you enjoy this show with Bob Hoffman. Bob, welcome back to the show. This is your fourth time, man. Fourth time. Unbelievable. Third time's a charm. What's the fourth time? It's, uh, maybe it's all downhill. I don't maybe know. Maybe it's a we'll disaster <laughs> or something. We'll see. <laughs> well, uh, well, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing great. I, uh, I'm fine. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm you good. have a family, right? They under control. I do. Yeah, yeah, everything's doing pretty well. I mean, you got a twelve-year-old who's homeschooling now. You know, virtually distance learning, all that stuff, which means basically mom and dad become the teacher in the afternoon. 
but yeah, it's it's a little weird though. I, I'm we're all a little got cabin fever, you know, like ready to do something else. It's not that bad for me, you know. You know me; I'm not all that enthusiastic about humanity anyway. So being isolated is, you know, under other circumstances, if people weren't dying, it would be kind of a nice vacation. But this is not the way to do it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. I would just like to go on a vacation, like go somewhere, and that travel component you just can't do right now. So. No, no, I don't think so. And they don't want you to come. I mean, even if you wanted to go, like Hawaii is saying, don't come here. We don't want you. I don't blame them. I wouldn't want me either. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, uh, congrats on another book. Thank Uh, you. I appreciate that. Advertising for Skeptics. Um, (laughs) How would you describe the book? Oh, I would describe it. It's about six inches wide and nine inches high. It has a red cover. And uh, okay, you want me to be serious. Advertising for Skeptic, it's kind of my musings on my belief about the delusions that the advertising and marketing industries are under and have been under for a while, which is kind of an overriding theme of a lot of my writing. And my idea is that we should be skeptical of the things that we accept as common wisdom in the advertising and marketing business, and we should question them. And uh, that's kind of what I do in the book. And you know me, I'm skeptical. I need to be shown before I believe anything. And that's not just true of advertising. It's, you know, my personality. I'm a pain in the ass. Someone says something to me, and I say, how do you know that? The answers I usually get back are not very satisfying. People just repeat what they've heard, and they don't really know why they believe certain things, and they don't really know things that they think they know. So that's what the book is about, I think. Well, I'm curious like about why why this perspective or why this book now because you have been on this like mission to clean up if you will the industry. That's my words, not your words. My mission isn't I don't have a mission. I just I just have a big mouth. And I don't expect you know, I the advertising industry doesn't need me. I just like to comment on on what I've seen from my perspective as someone who worked in it for 40 years and now observes it as an outsider. And the idea for for this book came to me, I was doing a talk in Copenhagen, as a matter of fact, and in the talk, I had a sentence. I said, we don't really know what we think we know. And I thought, that's really what I've been talking about for all these years, that we think we know things that we don't really know. And so I thought that this would be a good premise for a book. And that's why I wrote it. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I mean, one of the, I always enjoy your books, um, regardless, and I will definitely try to sell some copies here. Now you're talking. Yeah. Come on, people, buy the damn book. (laughs) (laughs) but your books are also i would equate them to taking a long cold shower and i really appreciate the perspective and clarity that you you drive home and in this book in particular i guess one of the early 
pieces that stuck out to me was your premise on the this principle problem. Like you, you described, you've been in the industry for 40 years, and yet we don't accumulate knowledge like other disciplines. Tell us a little bit more about that. Like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, if you talk with any marketing expert, they will tell you, maybe not 100%, but 95% of them will tell you that advertising isn't as effective as it used to be. And everyone has a theory about why, why it's not as effective as it used to be. But in other disciplines, there are principles and there is an arrow of progress. In medicine, we discovered a couple hundred years ago that germs cause disease. Before that, you know, we thought it was caused by witches and frogs and stuff like that. But we learned that germs cause disease. So we have the germ theory of disease, and we have a principle about how disease occurs. And that principle we've built on, and now medicine is so much more effective than it was even 50 years ago. It's not perfect by any means, but it's so, I mean, you would much rather be sick now than be sick a hundred years ago. Things that we cure now with a pill or a, an injection were life-threatening a hundred years ago. So we have principles. What's another, let me give you another example of a principle that Copernicus taught us that the universe does not revolve around the earth, but the earth revolves around the sun. And that principle led to all kinds of discoveries about the universe, about the world we live in, about gravitation, for example. And we build on that, and, and now we fly airplanes, and we, because we understand certain principles. In advertising, what are the principles that we have learned, and where is the arrow of progress? If advertising is less effective now than it was. 50 years ago, where's the arrow of progress? What have we learned? I don't know what the principles of advertising. If you speak to five different creative directors of ad agencies, you're going to get five different answers about what the principles of advertising are. If you speak to five doctors, you're not going to get a difference of opinion on whether germs cause disease but talk to five different creative directors, talk to five different account planners, talk to five different account managers, you're going to get five different answers about what they're trying to do and what the principles are. And I don't think we have developed any principles about the advertising business. Every generation seems to evolve its own principles. There's no connective tissue. If you read the trade magazines now. And if you read the literature of our industry, you'll read that marketing is dead and positioning is dead and brands are dead and the promotion, the funnel is dead and traditional media are dead and the big idea is that everything's dead, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's dead. The only thing that's alive are things, you know, words we make up, engagement, conversations, empowerment. The vague terms, right? We, where nobody, nobody can agree on what that stuff even means, and yet those are the principles that we accept as the wisdom of our industry. And I'm sorry, I don't accept it. So when you ask the question about our principles, my answer is I'm not sure what our principles even are. 
No, it makes sense. I mean, and you think about it to your point, like in science and medicine, you know, things we make these principles and then we make huge leaps and improvements. And there's an arrow of progress. Like a car, a car today is so much better than a car was 50 years ago. But is an ad today any better than an ad was 50 years ago? I'm not sure. So where's our, and that leads to the question, in my mind, is advertising an art or a science? And we accept now the idea that advertising is more scientific than it's ever been. We, we have data, we have algorithms, we're very math-oriented. But if there's not an arrow of progress, is it really science? Is it really more scientific or is it art? Where And there's nothing wrong with art. I love art. But in art, there's no arrow of progress. You can't say an art piece of artwork by Andy Warhol is better than artwork by Leonardo da Vinci. You'd be a fool. You might like it better, but you wouldn't say it's progress. And art doesn't have progress. Art is about emotions and feelings and whether you like things and what, what appeals to you. Art doesn't have an arrow of progress. Science does have an arrow of progress, and I don't see an arrow of progress in advertising. And consequently, all the talk about it being more scientific now, I'm skeptical about. I'm not sure it is. It may be more mathematical, but that's not the same as scientific because things can be mathematical without making progress. Science makes progress. Math is just, mathematics is just mathematics. And some of it is valuable and some of it is just like, I think a lot of our mathematics really hasn't made advertising better. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> no, it's making me think a little deeper, frankly, because it's it's almost like we've conflated, I don't know if that's even the right word, but I'll use it, uh, conflated measurement and measuring the impact with the creation product. And we don't even know if we're measuring the impact. We're not really sure what we're measuring most of the time. That's one of the problems. We have all these measures and we don't know what we're measuring. When you measure engagement, what are you measuring? I don't know. I don't know what that means. I guess my, my hope is that at the end of the day, we're hopefully measuring sales. Well, that, yeah. Now, there, there's, there's something you can measure. And all this other stuff, all this stuff that we, um, I'll use your word, conflate with sales may not be, you know, all these proxies for sales. We have all these measurements that are really proxies for sale or they're proxies for attention or they're proxies for memorability and all these KPIs that people talk about. And are they really, what, we don't know what they're measuring a lot of the time. What are measuring clicks? What does that tell you? You know, it tells you how many click farms there are in China. That's what it tells you. It, measuring traffic to your website tells you how many Russian bots are uh, interested, want to screw you out of money. That's what it tells you. <laughs> you've, you've been hanging out with Augustine Clue too much. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I have been convinced that we're kidding ourselves a lot of the time, uh, maybe most of the time. And that's what the book is about, I guess. That's great. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's great. Well, what advice do you have to marketing and advertising people? Oh, boy. I don't give advice. I just, I, I stand on the sidelines and shoot at people. Well, I know, I know you pivoted in the book, like towards the end, when you start to start to start to lay out some advice, you're like, okay, here comes the bullshit. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an author. I have to give advice, right? That's like part of my responsibility, even though I don't want to, you know, the best advice I can give is to be careful. So much of what, if you're a client, if you're a marketer and you're getting advice and you're getting data and you're getting metrics, you got to be really, really careful about what you believe because so much of it, and I'm not saying people are trying to kid you, they're giving you probably the best they can. They're probably giving you the numbers that they get back from their suppliers and they're not trying to steal money from you, but they don't know. Nobody knows what's going on now. There's so much corruption. There's so much fraud. And one of the other things, one of the other pieces of advice I would give to marketers and is when it comes to advertising, you have to find someone you can trust whose success in advertising has been proven and you can trust their judgment because uh, trying to apply the logic of marketing to advertising is often very questionable. You know, and our business people are taught to think logically and analyze everything logically and advertising just doesn't work that way. Advertising is a lot more about mysterious things that aren't necessarily logical. And advertising that works great isn't necessarily the most logical advertising. Advertising isn't about making a court case for your product, which a lot of marketing people think it is. And you have to find someone you trust, whose judgment you trust, that has been successful, that has proven that their instincts are right about advertising. And no marketing person likes to do that. No brand person, no executive likes to do that, likes to take logic out of the equation because that's how they're trained to think. And in 90% of, of the things you do in the world, logic is the right, is the right application for, for the problem, but not in advertising. So my advice to advertisers is someone in your organization or in your agency or somewhere who you trust, you have to find that person and, and put that person to, to good use. Uh, I think that's great advice. Well, I'd love to hit some uh, 
topics. I'll throw a topic out and we'd love to get your reaction because uh, this I'm isn't sick. like the time you asked me about world peace, is it? What, what I, <laughs> you remember that no, one? I do remember that. Yeah. One. Okay. Yeah, well, let's yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll try not go there. Yeah, we'll, yeah, let's, we'll, let's try not to go. All right. So um, coming up, or, or I don't know if we may have passed it already, the second anniversary of GDPR. Yeah, that's been a huge, huge disappointment, at least to me. That was supposed to be the death knell for privacy abuse. And as far as I can see, they haven't done a darn thing. And we're over here in the U.S. and uh, we're not aware of everything that's going on in the EU, but from what I've seen and what I've read, boy, I don't think, you know, it's a perfect example of what happens when lawyers and, and regulators write regulations. They should have had a copywriter write the GDPR. That's what they should have done. Because these lawyers and the regulators, they complicate the shit out of everything. The GDPR, PR is how many dozens of pages a copywriter would have taken the, it would be five sentences long and it would be clear what's legal and what's not legal, what you can do and can't do. Instead, it's such a mess. Nobody knows what it means that they'll be adjudicating this for 10 years because it's so full of loopholes and so unclear that the enforcement of it is, is probably impossible because Google's lawyers are going to find 50 loopholes to everything they say. And copywriters are great at that. Copy, you know, a cop, here's how we're different. Here's how copywriters are different from legislators and regulators. Legislators and regulators start with a simple idea, right? We want to stop privacy abuse. And they take it and they expand it into pages and hearings and meetings. And they, copywriters do the opposite. They take a thousand pages of research and bullshit and planners, uh, briefs, and they, and they take all this stuff and they narrow it down to 30 seconds of copy. So we do the opposite. The regulators and the lawyers take a simple thing and complicate the shit out of it. We take a very complicated thing and simplify it as much as we can. And the GDPR should have had copywriters. The, the EU should have had copywriters write the GDPR. It would be very simple. People would understand what it means and we would have accomplished something. Instead, we have a mess, and, and I'm making you know I'm making fun of it, but it's really terrible because, I mean, there's so much danger in all this privacy abuse, and we're getting nowhere with it. It's uh, very disheartening to me. I thought we had, we finally had had reached a point where something would be done, but uh, who knows? I, know. I know it's it, it feels like it's been the better use of it would be the banner law for your website. With all those stupid banners, I have to accept the cookies yes. on. Uh, <laughs> and nobody knows. How do you escape from that even? I, I you can't even know. say no. There's no I, option to say no. Exactly. It's like it's you can't continue. It's, I know. It's, it's ridiculous. I know. I, it's so bad. Like it's on all my listeners will know that if this is my website, I have one of those stupid things on my site because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. 
And to the point where it's so it annoys me so often that I go to my website, I think I'm going to take it off. And if someone sues me, they sue yeah, me. Yeah, the, they'll sue you. First, they, they have about 3 billion other people in line in front of you that they need to sue. I know, I know, I know. Well, all right. Next topic, our next subject, Byron Sharp. Or Mark Ritson. Am I allowed to pick both? Because they're they're both in their own way brilliant guys, and they both have a they they both have a lot to teach us. And I love them both. And in the book, I try to reconcile part of their disagreement over targeting. I try to reconcile it in one of the in one of the chapters. I'm not sure I do. But advertising is a fascinating subject, and one of the fascinating things about it is that you can have people with completely different points of view, and they're both kind of right. It's not black and white. It's not clear. They're both very smart, and I have, and I respect them both and have learned from them both. And yet they disagree on stuff, and that's okay. It's okay not to be too sure of everything, particularly in a social science like advertising, where we pretend we know so much that we don't really know. No, I know. I agree. And I keep trying to figure out, you know, I think there's a lot of common ground between the two of them. They love to, well, I don't know that Byron really cares that much about what Mark believes because Byron, it feels like he stands on science. But Mark loves to point out the, the discrepancies, which I find comical in his own nature and how he does it. They're both very smart guys and nice guys. I like them both. I've actually had drinks with uh, Mark. We were we were on uh, the uh, program of uh, I think a couple of conferences together. And he's he's great. To, I mean, he's great fun. Byron, I haven't met personally. I've spoken to him on the phone and stuff like that. I haven't met him personally. But yeah, they're terrific people. They're very good for our industry to have smart people like that. I think they agree. I think they agree that marketing, for the most part these days, is a clown show. I think they agree on that. The place where they don't agree is on targeting, on on media targeting. That's their biggest area of disagreement. But I think it's reconcilable in a way. I don't know. I do too. I do too. I think they would both agree with endless resources, you should always go mass. <laughs> right. But nobody has endless resources. Right, right. And, exactly. and every, yeah, every, every budget decision turns out to be, in the end, a targeting decision, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like where the rubber meets the road, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I do, love, I do love both of those guys. They're really good. I, I haven't met either of them in person, but I have, to your point, talked to them both on the phone and in podcast format. So, well, okay. Next topic, COVID-19 advertising. Ugh. We're all in this together. <laughs> Alan, <laughs> yeah, no. have you seen the, together. have uh, you seen yeah, the, uh, video. the video? Yeah. It's, it's, it brings the point home so much. It's just, look, if you're a marketer, it's very difficult times. There's no question about it. You don't want to be seen as crass, want to be seen, uh, you know, you want to be seen as empathetic, but golly, there got to be more creative ways than saying the same things over and over. During these difficult times, we're all in this together. Please give me a break. Something different. <laughs> I know. I, I did see a bit of research today, today, actually, that consumers are starting to, 
to not like those ads. Like the tide has turned. Yeah, consumers catch up sooner or later. Yeah, and it it's like it's just a reminder of how bad things are. Like, so please stop reminding me. I'm watching TV to escape. Please stop reminding. Yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> other topic I wanted to talk about is you're launching, you've launched this book in the middle of a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah, that uh, probably wasn't a genius idea, but actually, I don't know. The book has done very well. People have time to read. Yeah, I guess. And I am thrilled that the book has done, you know, I'm so, I have so little self-respect as a writer. I had four number one sell Amazon number one selling advertisings. And I still couldn't call myself a writer. When people asked me what I did, I'd say I'm a retired advertising guy. I could never say I'm a writer. You know, it's just, it sounded too grand for a jerk like me. But I said, if this book gets to be number one at Amazon in the ad category, I'm going to say I'm a writer. I'm going to get right out there and say it. And so it did. It became number one and it did very well. And I still can't say I'm right. I I still have such low self-esteem that I say I'm a retired advertising guy. Yeah. Well, I think you're a good writer and you make it enjoyable, an enjoyable read for, for sure. All right. Well, a couple, I want to switch gears a little bit. A couple questions remaining. I, I've been asking, well, before I go there, what's keeping you busy these days? There's no baseball. There's no in-person speaking gigs. Like, what are you doing to fill your time? I'll tell you. This is a secret. Don't say anything to anyone about this. I'll deny it. The less I do, the less I want to do. That's how lazy I am. (laughs) I have an idea for a book. It's a good idea. And I've spent maybe 90 minutes on it in the past two months. I just can't get myself to sit down and write. You know, I do my weekly newsletter that I do. But other than that... I just, I don't know, I've, uh, apparently I need a deadline or someone screaming at me to get something done because on my own, I'm, I just, I've lost my, uh, I've lost my motivation. So Andy, what am I doing? I have a little music, uh, like amateur, uh, studio down in the basement and I've been spending a lot of time down there doing really stupid covers of old rock and roll songs and they're pathetic but I love doing it. It's such fun. And I've been spending a lot of time doing that. Uh, Last week, the golf courses were opened here in California. So I've gotten out and played some golf, which is like, boy, when you're stuck in the house all the time and you get outside for a few hours in the fresh air and you're playing golf, it's a miracle. It's like so wonderful. Golf itself is silly and frustrating, but being out there with trees and birds and swinging clubs, swinging sticks at balls. That's been fun the last couple of weeks. What else am I doing? I'm cooking a lot. I love cooking. Cooking is something I love to do. So that's fun. It's nice that I have the time to do it now. Like I said earlier, it's not that tough for me. I'm not that social to begin with. So social distancing, it's kind of my life story is social distancing. (laughs) Whether you want it to or not, right? Right. I was worried until you went to the cooking and the golf and the music that you were going to turn into this puddle of goo. <laughs> you know, like well, the I'm, yeah, I am kind of that anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I don't uh, want to. I, TV, television does not go on. I have a strict rule. 
no television till 7 p.m. I do not. I'm not. I refuse to watch it. I don't want to hear all the talking nincompoops. And one thing that that this um, lockdown has taught me is how much crappy television and how many crappy movies there are. I never realized it before, but now you go through the listings because you know I, I I I never had much time for television, or, and I'm not a movie guy. And why there's so many stinkers. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, and and I, we're running out of stuff that's legitimately anything I want to watch. So I'm going back to like old movies for me or old movies for my daughter. Anyway, it's been an adventure. I've got kind of this silly question I've been asking guests, so I'm curious uh, to ask you the same silly question. But it's wondering if you what's the most impactful purchase of a hundred dollars or less you've made in the last say six to twelve months? Huh. I bought a bottle of Macallan 12, 12-year-old 12 scotch, and that has been the most impactful purchase because I've been a vodka drinker for uh, many years now. I used to drink scotch in my younger days, and then I went to vodka, and I've been drinking vodka now for like 25 years or so. But I went back, and I bought a nice bottle of Macallan 12, and that has been wonderful. I have a little glass of scotch every evening, and it's very delightful. So that that has been it, I would say. My household is right there with you. We've been making uh, mocktails for the kids. Like she's experimenting with, uh, you know, different fruits and stuff that she can put in uh, soda water. She's making simple syrup, and then mom and dad get the benefit with our cocktails. <laughs> yeah, now you're talking. I know. So I, I'm really hoping somebody from Tito's is listening because I could use some free booze. Nah, yeah. Tito's, come on. <laughs> Do you know that Tito? Now, I'm not sh I'm going to say this. And this this is information that's probably six or eight months old. Tito's was the number one selling spirit in America of all spirits. Wow. Did you know that? I did not. It has this handmade, it's small batch stuff. No. Number one selling spirit in America, uh, all of all kinds. Wow, that's amazing! Is, isn't that a surprise? Yes, they have managed. Uh, they they're doing a good job on on brand, uh, and the only advertising they do is print advertising magazines. I think. I think you're right. Well, what's your? You already talked about your scotch, but what would be your go-to cocktail during a pandemic? My cocktail if i had to have a well i would love to be in hawaii drinking mai tais that's my idea of fun i like the sillier the drink the happier i am and mai tais they got umbrellas they have pineapple and cherries in them and yeah i can go through a few of those in an evening well we've got to find a way once this once we can travel again to see each other and i'll, I'll yes. buy you some mai tais now you talk, <laughs> we're gonna trade or vix you'll buy me a mai tai <laughs> Love it. Well, Bob, it was great having you on. Thank you for coming on. Thanks. I love doing this and I'll have to write another book so I can come back. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's the only reason I write the books is so I can do the podcast. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. 
There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.